I knew that she had also been through some fire probably in the last five, five years. I, I saw like the meet this, the firestorm on social media kind of chewing her up. And I saw her consistently respond with what I thought was grace and um, focusing on Jesus. And I thought, you know, this is a stand-up lady. Hey everyone, welcome to Your Pastor Reads Books, the podcast where you'll hear pastors from different backgrounds talk about their love of reading and the specific books that are shaping them to be wholehearted followers of Jesus and better givers of spiritual care to others. I'm your host, Heather Weber, and today my guest is ordained minister and personal leadership coach and trainer, Amy DeVries, who helps ministry professionals and international workers propel great ideas into real action. Amy holds a master's degree in professional coaching, and she serves as a coaching facilitator for the Assemblies of God's Northwest Ministry Network, as an internal coach with Assemblies of God World Missions, and is an active member of the AG Coaching Coalition. She and her husband serve at the Bridge Church in Belfair, Washington. Today, our conversation is inspired by Beth Moore's best-selling memoir, All My Knotted Up Life which was released earlier in 2023. Our conversation was interesting to me because it underscored the ways in which we can be encouraged when our heroes in the faith are honest about their failures, weaknesses, and struggles, and yet remain faithful to Jesus. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Amy, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Heather. I'm really happy to be here too. I, um, you know, introduced you in your bio, um, which is a lot about coaching. You have a master's degree in professional coaching from a theological seminary. And not everyone has experience with coaching or knows that coaching can be a form of ministry. And I just, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your ministry uh, with coaching and how coaching uh, is ministry and, and how it functions in your life? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm a, well, first of all, I'm a big believer in marketplace ministries. So no matter what we do, uh, can definitely be ministry, right? Whether you're a interior designer or a teacher or a pastor, I'm a big believer in that. And some of my friends are what you would call bivocational ministers, um, which, they, you know, preach at the church and they pastor and shepherd a congregation as well as uh, do other things on the side to support their families. Um, for myself, um, I'm a coach and not every coach has to do what I do, but I happen to coach pastors and missionaries. And so that's the mm-hmm. people that I serve. And I see myself as someone who comes alongside pastors and missionaries and holds up their arms during the battle. There's a story in the Bible where Moses is looking out over a battle and the Lord told him, as long as he holds his arms up, the Israelites will win. And as when his arms would come down, um, the Israelites would lose. And I sort of see Moses is representing ministers. And I mean, not in everything, but in this, I could see that our ministers and our missionaries need people to come alongside them and hold their arms up. So that's what I see myself as a coach doing. I come alongside um, the people I coach. I provide a taste of the kingdom of heaven just by sitting with them, Mm. being with them personally, physically. Um, 
and by physically that can include uh, over the phone or mm-hmm. on Zoom or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, helping them um, identify and create and reach their goals. So mm. I don't really tell them how to fight the battle. I just give them the support and the strength to help them with what they, they feel and believe that God has led them or told them to do. Some people come to me when they're first starting. Mm. And so they're not sure like who they are as a minister. They're not okay. sure completely what their ministry is supposed to look like. Some people come to me um, when they're like in between assignments. And so mm. again, there's that uncertainty and others come when they're stuck. They're just mm. stuck. And so it might, it may or may not be something horrible or bad. It's mm. just they're stuck. Okay. And I tend to, this isn't like what I drive for, like in any way, but um, I do tend to attract people who are single in ministry. Hmm. Um, because in ministry, it's hard to find safe people to be yourself with. Mm. People who don't have an agenda for you, people who don't hijack your agenda and then try to recreate their own. Mm. Um, some people just want to agree with you because they respect you, like you, want you to like them back. And mm. um, there's a power dynamic sometimes that comes into play that the minister may or may not even want, but it's mm. just there. So for a minister to have a safe person to talk to is really, um, and to bounce ideas off of and to really create and experiment with ideas, that's what a coach does. And so if um, ideally that person can be your spouse sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it isn't always. Um, Not every spouse is wired to do that Mm -hmm. um, or does that. And not everyone has a spouse. So there's a a mix. Sometimes people come, but if people are truly um, abused and broken and disillusioned because of their ministry, my most experience with them has been that they need a friend Mm. in that moment more than even a coach. Hmm. A coach can be useful after maybe the initial grief and shock has worn off and they're ready Mm. to make plans again, but sometimes people are just in survival mode. So they need, um, they need someone who will just listen and say, yeah, wow, that's terrible. Mm. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. instead of saying, so what are you going to do now? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that's, yes, that makes a lot of sense. If someone comes to me and they are completely broken, I, in our first conversation, I sort of lay out what coaching is and what it's for. And, and I'll tell them, um, sometimes when people are, are deeply hurt, uh, they need some time to heal and survive before they're ready to make goals and move forward. And coaching is all about making goals and choosing your way forward. And when you feel you're at your healthiest and best to do that, even if the moving forward is baby steps, just one step forward, we can coach. Mm. But if you're in a space where you need a friend who will just sit beside you and listen, um, we can talk today about maybe how you can find that and mm. get that in place. Um, but that won't be what I provide. Right. That makes sense. So not, yeah. And sometimes those, when people are in those seasons, they need a therapist and a counselor and friends. And I like yeah. how you distinguish that coaching is about 
helping people move forward, right? Even if it's just a little bit at a time. So um, I can, I'm almost guessing already like how some of the themes uh, that you're talking about might play into our our further conversation Mm -hmm. here. But, um, you know, those listening don't know, I have a private Facebook group where some pastors that I know um, like to swap uh, titles of books that we're reading and stories about how they, they're impacting us in the seasons that we're in. And I'd invited you to be part of this group. And I noticed you were posting a lot, uh, book, you know, photos of books that you were reading and things you were processing about books. And, mm-hmm. and I, I recognized, oh, she's a reader. She's a book lover. <laughs> so Amy, can you just tell me how your love of reading developed? How'd you become this reader? Oh gosh, I don't, I think I was just a nerdy kid. <laughs> I, I, I started reading young. My mom was a school teacher and she was always reading her spare time. I just remember, um, the most my mom, she was in her chair reading mm. and, um, and we did manage to watch some family, uh, shows like, um, Magnum PI and mm-hmm. Murder, She Wrote yes. and <laughs> Wheel of Fortune but um, I do, I just remember her reading a lot. And I think that impacted me as a kid. Like, oh, this is what you do in your downtime. You read. And it's like, it was like her way of escaping the world. And so she, t- as a young girl, like third grade, she took me to the library and was like, and this is Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And here, let's check out some books that you can read. And she introduced me to C.S. Lewis and Narnia at, you know, young ages. And so that's probably where it started. It was my mom taking me to the library and all of that. Wow. Did she ever read with you as well? No. Okay. Really. No, just introduce you to books. Yeah. Like, like read to me. Yes. I do remember as a little kid, her reading to me, but, um, no, we didn't have that family dynamic where, you know, through junior high or something, my parents would read, certain books with us, but just gave you access to the library. You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like CS Lewis, uh, Narnia series, Nancy Drew and Hardy boys have so far been the most repeated, uh, book series that any of the guests have mentioned, like, or that all the guests have mentioned, um, in all the episodes we've recorded, like it must be, it must've been a, like a generational, (laughs) There's a generational audience for all of those books or something. Um, but yeah, they really left a mark for me and for a lot of people. And that's fantastic that she was so proactive and introduced you to, to reading. So why don't you just tell us a bit about the book that we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Um, so the book is All My Knotted Up Life by Beth Moore. And, uh, yeah, I was first introduced to Beth Moore in the early 2000s. I was a young, young pastor at my church staff pastor, and I volunteered to lead a women's Bible study Mm. that we didn't really have something, something going on with that. So I want to say it was like Thursday mornings or something. And we did, um, she did a study on the tabernacle. So man, we just jumped in the deep end. That's probably one of the deepest, most complicated ones that she's ever done. Wow. That's the one I picked, of course. And um, 
you know, I, we just invited all the women to come and I set up like decorations. Like I set up a side table with lamps from my house and, Mm. you know, backdrop. And I just tried to make it beautiful, a beautiful space. And I had um, table leaders and snacks, of course. And I couldn't believe the turnout, like these women showed up and they kept coming back. Hmm. And uh, it really was an awesome experience. And um, so that was my introduction to Beth Moore, just those really high quality Bible studies. And I did a few more after that. I didn't lead them, but I participated in a few over the years. And so then I kind of loosely followed her because in her Bible studies that she has written and recorded, she's fairly open about certain aspects of her private life and like her kids and things like that. And so you start to kind of feel like, oh yeah, you've mentioned this in another series that I listened to and oh, what's the, how's this coming along? And so I almost felt like, hey, Beth and I, we're friends. (laughs) Like I know her. And so when I saw her, um, her memoir come out, um, I was intrigued and excited to read it because I knew that she had also been through some fire probably in the last five, five years. I, I saw like the meet the, the firestorm on social media kind of chewing her up. And I saw her consistently respond with what I thought was grace and um, focusing on Jesus and I thought, you know, this is a stand-up lady. She is maintaining her um, integrity in the face of some real hateful um, accusations and um, comments. So I was drawn to mm. reading her story because, after all, Beth and I are friends. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And how, I just wonder for people listening who don't know, I wonder how we could characterize without like getting into the nitty gritty, um, Mm -hmm. sort of like what Beth Moore was going through. And I don't know if it's fair to say she was part of the Southern Baptist denomination Mm -hmm. and made some comments about the 2020 presidential election. No, Mm -hmm. it was the 2016 presidential election right? Mm -hmm. Expressed her concerns about Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. And is that what the instigating situation was? I I almost feel like there had been some uh, shaky ground that she was standing on before that, Mm -hmm. even because of being a woman with such a a huge ministry platform. Mm. And she was navigating that very carefully, I felt mm. um, like she she would always say, um, you know, my material really is created for women. If men choose to participate, I'm not going to turn them away, but I am reaching to women. Mm-hmm. And um, she it felt like she was trying to stay in the lines and she was trying to honor the boundaries of um, her denomination, which uh, like many denominations doesn't always provide a space for women to teach men. Mm -hmm. And, um, I felt that even throughout like the 15 years before the election comments, I felt that she, as her ministry just kept exploding, I felt that she was getting on shaky ground Hmm. with her denomination specifically, um, 
But even with the church at large, like women still loved her material, but there was a lot of mistrust. Hmm. And I was hearing um, men, even outside of her denomination, even within um, denominations that generally are supposedly supportive of Hmm. women in ministry or women having leadership positions, the men weren't weren't too sure about her either. So even before the election, so then of course, as it comes out in her book, Beth experienced um, some uh, sexual abuse as a child. And um, there was a, a, a reaction she felt very deeply and strongly toward um, Trump when he was running and some of his comments about women were being played out across the news every night. And she, mm-hmm. was, she remarked and said, that, you know, this is disgusting, basically. This is not okay. And the reaction she got there was huge. And we um, mean the people, reaction from like her the denominational leaders, right? Or men in the denomination um, or everybody. I think it was just a lot of everybody, like mm. people who normal, who for years had bought her material and supported her were coming on Facebook saying, I can't believe I liked your Bible studies because why would you say such a thing about this man? Ever, you know, obviously chosen by God. Mm. And, Trump. We um, mean Trump right now. The, yes. the person they thought was chosen <laughs> yeah. by God. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, Trump followers and not all. So I really don't like demonizing whole groups of people, yeah. but people who identified themselves as mm-hmm. Trump supporters were, right. were aghast that she would uh, disagree with mm-hmm. And would say, no, this isn't okay. You can't talk this way about women or people. You can't do that. That's not okay. Mm-hmm. She she lost a lot from those comments. And I remember watching that. And when I see people going through trauma, sometimes it's like I take this step back and I look at it and I try to be non-emotional. And that's probably just my training as a coach. Step out of my own reactions and and emotions in, in the moment, because I had strong opinions mm. about Trump as well, mm. which this is not the platform for such things. <laughs> I don't talk about that on any social media, but I had strong thoughts and opinions. And I was, I tried to just, I stepped outside of my own lens and just looked at her as a person and felt compassion for um, what she was walking through. And I feel a calling toward, as I said, of, of supporting ministers. And, um, so of course, you know, I, I prayed for her and, um, did my best in my own world just to kind of stand up for her. If I heard mm-hmm. someone say something, um, against her, because I feel that sometimes as humans, uh, people, we just jump on these weird bandwagons that are just odd that, you know, if you're not emotional, and you look at it, you can say, this is a weird bandwagon. To jump mm, Why would mm-hmm. you do that? There are a lot of weird bandwagons that, <laughs> that we that get swept get in the emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a partly why I felt drawn. Plus, I just, you know, always felt like I got Beth and I, I liked her. And um, so I felt compassion for what she walked through and was glad to see her write a book. Mm. And also, well, it was... It was nice for me to see her uh, kind of processing through her whole life, really. Um, and to see her, like, I don't know, 
I hope that it wasn't just for the book's sake, but, um, you know, at the end of the book, I felt that she, uh, tied things up really neatly in a lot of ways. Like she'd come to peace Mm. and, um, she had walked through stuff and probably, and was still dealing with life because life continues to be hard, even when you finish writing the book, (laughs) you know, but, um, like she didn't put this beautiful bow at the end and be like, Oh, now everything's perfect. But I felt that she, in a way, kind of stuck us a, a stone in the ground and said, I will continue to follow the Lord. Hmm. And, you know, thus far he's been faithful to me and I will continue to trust him. And I just felt that resolute um, resolution in her heart. It seemed hmm. as at the end of the book, as she's talked through my all my knotted up life, and she did not hold back from sharing her own sins and struggles. She did not paint herself as a perfect um, victim who never did anything wrong. She was, I felt pretty honest and forthright in making people see, nope, I'm a real person. <laughs> I have real, I have a real family that's all messed up and not Facebook perfect. And um, I appreciated that. Mm. Yeah, it's so helpful when the people whose lives we've maybe sort of peered in on from a distance mm-hmm. who maybe look like they've got things all together, it's often very comforting to know they're humans too, you know, they're, they struggle yeah. with some of the same things that we struggle with. Um, so yeah. how would you, how did this book impact you or contribute to your growth in following Christ? I think it was a reminder to me that there's no cookie cutter um, five-step plan that's going to fit everyone Mm. for following Christ. Sometimes I think we compare ourselves and think that other people's walk is, oh, that's what my walk with Jesus should look just like. And, um, in some ways, Beth's walk is ideal. Like she gets up at the crack of dawn and has all these commentaries on her kitchen table and studies all day and takes her kids to school and picks them up and studies and studies. And I'm like, well, that's not me. But I never felt like she said, and this is how it's done. I felt mm. like her, her message in her book was you're holding on to Jesus throughout all the knots in your life. And you're holding on to the rope to Jesus. Just keep holding on no matter what your life looks like. And um, that's such a beautiful reminder to me uh, that my world doesn't have to look perfect. Um, My family doesn't have to never have any problems. Um, And it's refreshing because, you know, the Instagram families, the Facebook families. I love to see my friends at their best. I do. I love to see their pictures and their, their children's achievements. I think that's really special. And I'm thankful that I can follow like my college friends and their grandkids mm. now. I appreciate that. But um, I'm also aware that's not real. Like that isn't the whole picture. Mm-hmm. They're not posting about their Sunday morning argument or their Thursday night, you know, fight with a teenager or, mm-hmm. you know, they're not posting those things. And I know that. Um, and I almost kind of felt like this book was Beth's way of saying, and here we are in all our mess. This is my family. And aren't we a, a messy, beautiful thing? 
That's so good. And I, I think especially as ministers, there's often this pressure to feel like we're doing it God's way. We've got it all together. Right. When yeah, in reality, God, and there's no more problems. <laughs> yeah. And that's like a false gospel, right? Like that is mm-hmm. not, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's no, there are no more problems. I remember right. reading a section of her book where she was sort of like telling on her own family and like some of the struggles in her own family. And I was ugly crying because yeah. it was like, if Beth Moore can like go through this and be such an esteemed, like, like woman of integrity um, and have such a powerful ministry to so many, what freedom I feel that, that, you know, that that can be true for me, like that Jesus can still work through my life. You know, we say this, it's in scripture that his power is made, you know, perfect in our weakness. Um, But it was just like an ugly crying of relief. Like, oh, somebody named the, the dynamic I've experienced. And I didn't know we could be that straightforward about it, you know? Well, she shares just very openly, like her husband misses a whole bunch of Sundays because he's hunting and he swears like a sailor. And I was like, oh my goodness, you're saying this out loud. I can't, I can't believe that. Um, Mm. wow. And she shared about the mental illness that she had experienced within her own family with, um, with her, her mom. Mm. And I would even characterize her, her dad. She didn't specifically say that so much, but yeah, he had some mental illness in my uncultured opinion. Um, and then, um, even within her own family, uh, and I, I appreciate that she was careful to say everything I've said about my husband was said with his approval. Mm. And um, so she wasn't throwing anybody under the bus. But um, she shared about um, their, their struggles with uh, adoption. And, um, mm. you know, that hit close because we've adopted. And so I was reading her story and, what, and ugly crying through, mm. through that story. Mm. And, um, just the, the reality of mental illness and struggles in families like this is stuff that pastors deal with, but we don't always feel like we can, like, I don't post on social media about my family's struggles because that's not, I don't feel like it's mine to share with the world. This yes. is involving other people. Um, especially if we have a parenting, um, challenge. I don't yeah. want to, you know, I'm not going to say, talk about my kid and be like, my kid was horrible today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Cause this is their future too. Yes. And this can affect their future. The things I say mm-hmm. on social media. So I'm careful about mm-hmm. that. But, um, anyway, I just, so we don't always hear the struggles from each other. Um, unless we're maybe in a close relationship, but mm-hmm. to see someone like Beth Moore share, just very openly, um, it was very encouraging. Like, wow, okay. So to be used by God, things don't have to be perfect. Because as a minister, I have felt, because I've, um, I have, there's areas of responsibility and positions that I'm in that are important to me, that are meaningful to me. Um, and I've had this imposter syndrome where I'm like, 
man, but my, my family is not picture perfect all the time. Mm. Should I even be in this role of ministry Mm. and responsibility? Should I even be doing this? Mm -hmm. Because I don't feel like I've got things figured out. And I think reading this book was a reminder to me, like, okay, you've got to, like imposter syndrome, that's a real thing so many ministers walk Mm -hmm. through. And I've walked with ministers through that. And this book reminded me um, to just remember my own medicine, I guess. Like, what would I tell Mm -hmm. one of my clients or friends? Hmm. and uh, who feel like an imposter. Well, I would encourage them. I would hold up their arms until they felt strong again. And I think in a way this book held me up Mm -hmm. and encouraged me to um, not listen to the imposter, (laughs) which maybe can we just identify the imposter as being the devil because Mm -hmm. he's the true imposter. He has this beautiful facade and he looks all alluring and tempting, um, but it's all darkness and death inside. So that's a true imposter. And so imposter syndrome maybe is when we just listen to the enemy and take it in and believe it. This book reminded me, I think we we all have places in our life that are not beautiful, but certainly are redeemed and can be made beautiful by God. That's good. Yeah. And, and you touched on that imposter syndrome. So many ministers experience that. And I would say a lot of women ministers experience that, um, especially when they are ministering in more male dominated spaces. Um, it is one of those places where we can start to doubt, right? And if we really don't have it all together, that makes it even harder. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you kind of, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, you know, one of the things I like to ask guests on the show is like, how did this experience of interacting with the book make you a better coach, like a better giver of mm-hmm. care to the people that you're caring for? Is there anything more you'd want to say about that? I think, um, the best coaches, it's about being, not doing Hmm. about being a coach, not just doing coach coaching. And so the best coaches I feel are people who have a mindset and uh, assumptions in place that help them to be a great coach. Like you could do the, the coaching, like you could ask all the right questions and you could follow the formulas and the models and like you could do coaching and follow all the rules, but not necessarily be a great coach Hmm. uh, because maybe your assumptions are askew. Like you assume other people are just stupid (laughs) and you know, you assume other people really need, need help. Like they need you to solve them. They need you to rescue them. They need you to be their Holy spirit Hmm. and their savior. Hmm. Um, And um, of course a, a, a good coach doesn't assume that I am your Holy spirit here to convict you of sin I am not your Jesus Christ here to save you. Um, thank God. Um, uh, but I think the book reminded me, for me, it, I, um, I can show up with what I have. Mm. And sometimes when you're in a helping profession like coaching or, or ministry, 
there's this feeling of like the plumber needs to have his own plumbing in order before he can fix other people's mm. plumbing <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. you know, I should have my life perfect and well-organized running like a well-oiled machine before I presume to help others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a falsehood. I think we, God is more concerned with the who than the what. So mm. He's more concerned, who am I being through the mess, not just what am I doing? So as a coach, I feel that helped. The book helped me mm. just to remember through, the, through the, the struggles of life, who am I being? Mm. And, you know, Beth was keeping ministry appointments and still showing up and, you know, putting out these really fantastic Bible studies and, um, over the years, as her family was walking through really tough stuff, mm. that's a huge encouragement to me, just as a minister, yeah. that my life, my family can be going through tough stuff, and I can still be who God's called me to be. That's so powerful. I mean, I remember her telling a story in the book about, I think her husband was like, I, he'd had a series of health issues and was like almost catatonic, but just, she described him as like, like that they lost him. Like he just wasn't him anymore. And, and to know that like, you can go through that level of like displacement in your own family and still be faithful. Right. And still like be who Jesus has called you to be. Um, It's so powerful do you have any last uh, words of encouragement for people listening to this? You've already said a lot of really encouraging things. I just want, I want to give you a chance if there's anything left on your mind. You know, what's coming to my mind um, is something, there's, there's a very short story that goes with this. After I gave birth to my son, I was, I was 40 years old the first time I got pregnant. So I had a complicated pregnancy and it was scary and everything. When he was born or like right before he was born, um, it was the new, there was a new year and I was praying. I was like, Lord, what is the word or phrase to take with me into this next year? I mean, I've seen other people do it. Let's do that. I don't know. What do you want me to do this year? And um, I felt like what God told me to do is just keep swimming. Hmm. And I was like, really? Like, like the Nemo movie, <laughs> just mm. keep swimming. And I don't know if those are the exact words that God spoke. I don't want to know. I don't want to say he was quoting Disney, but mm. <laughs> uh, maybe he was, I don't know. But that was a sense I had of just keep swimming. Mm. And those words truly proved prophetic for me. Cause I was like, really, you don't want me to do anything else. But I felt like God said, just do what's in front of you. Take each step as it comes. You don't need to create new opportunities or try to pursue new things. Just take what comes. Just keep swimming. And over the next probably two years, I walked through um, postpartum depression. Hmm. And that reminder from the Lord really held, held me. Like, it's okay. You don't have to always be producing new things. It's okay to just keep swimming. Just just stick to being faithful of what's in front of you. Hmm. And I feel like that's what came up just now when you're like, what's any further messages from the book? I feel Mm -hmm. like Beth gave us an example of just keep swimming and just keep continuing to be faithful one step in front of the other step. And as things come up, 
as opportunities come, you know, you evaluate those. Um, and I do, I mean, I'm a big believer in sometimes, um, you know, uh, breaking through the door. Like sometimes if a door closes, I, I don't always believe that that's always the Lord closing right. the door. Sometimes yeah. I feel like, well, if he closes a door, look for the window. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I do believe in pursuing an opportunity. And it's not just sitting back and waiting for everything mm-hmm. to happen. But I think there's times in ministry where we just have to remember, just keep swimming. And even when it's hard and even when stuff at home is hard and not Instagram perfect, um, we just keep swimming. Thank you so much. You just brought so much of the book, uh, of the meaningful pieces of the book to the forefront so that, um, I'm encouraged just being reminded of its content, being reminded of her testimony and yours. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. What an honor. Thanks for listening in on my conversation with minister and coach Amy DeVries. You can follow Amy's ministry on her website at www.coachamydevries.com or find the link to that and other resources we mentioned in the show notes. Also, if you want to support the podcast in spirit or with your bank account, you can subscribe to it at yprb.substack.com for episodes straight to your inbox or give it a rating or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Every review and every rating helps get the word out. Once again, I'm your host, Heather Weber. And for more information about me and my ministry, head on over to my website at heatherweber.org. That's Weber with one B. Thanks again. And I hope you pick up a great book today.